Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my guests today are Chris Schultz and Ann Driscoll. Guys, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Great to be with you here today, Kevin. Thanks so much. I, I love the backdrop of the, the house behind. They're sitting outside in Northern California and enjoying the beautiful weather. And I'm in, I'm in Central Virginia and just, just hot. I'm just high. It's just, <laughs> just all it is. So tell us a little bit about yourselves, guys. Sure. Yeah, we are um, a uh, couple, a married couple who's also business partners working together. Uh, we run a uh, business called Launchpad, uh, a network of co-working spaces that I'm sure we can get into a little bit. And uh, we're also raising a, a eight month old daughter. So we're, uh, we're, we're in the thick of it right now. And, I, and as we I, like to say, we're all, all in on uh, <laughs> life business right now. That's for sure. So, so take a, take a step back a little bit. I mean, you, you, you normally don't just wake up one day and just launch a, a kind of a co-working space, you know, venture capital firm, the whole the you know the whole gamut or conglomerate or whatever the the launch pad kind of encompasses so kind of kind of take us through the journey maybe both of you independently kind of how your journey arrived at today yeah and and i think it it's great to do it independently because we we have different paths to uh to to working together so why don't i start and then you can follow um i have uh been a sort of a passionate startup guy for, for most of my career. Um, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that uh, I feel like I've haven't had a job in <laughs> probably almost 20 years, you know, just although, you know, when, when you're, when you're running a company, you do have a job, you're, you're, you're doing a lot of things, but um, I've been fortunate to be able to do that. And Launchpad started in New Orleans in a post Katrina environment. So um, along the way became very, passionate about building startup communities and, and building the, the New Orleans startup ecosystem. So we started Launchpad in 2009 uh, as a co-working space and a community and, you know, really very mission driven with a focus on, on building the entrepreneurial community. So along the way, I've done a number of things. We ran an accelerator. I began writing a few checks, you know, for as an angel because, uh, because there was a dearth of venture capital and sort of learned that a little bit and um, have had some success there. And, um, and then, uh, and then Ann and I were married four years ago and I moved out to the Bay area. And, and one of the things that tends to happen when you move out here is you sort of reframe everything. And so um, a lot of cities around the country started to look a lot like New Orleans with mm -hmm. similar challenges and, you know, lack of capital, but there was sort of a nascent entrepreneurial ecosystem. So um, we began to, to uh, expand Launchpad. We sort of expanded our vision and began to expand Launchpad over the last two years. Um, I'll, I'll cut to you and, and let you come at it. I'm sort of the, the uh, zero to one guy. Anne is the, Anne is the one with a lot of uh, at scale experience. So why don't you share your story? Yeah, so I've been um, working in Silicon Valley for 20 years and um, I was probably, you know, had a classic Silicon Valley view on the rest of the country, which was a great place to fly over on your way to New York. <laughs> um, and, you know, this is where you need to build your startup if you want to build a startup and build a tech company. And, and after about 
you know, working for great companies and also working in challenge situations where we've raised, you know, millions and millions of dollars uh, and have a great kitchen program, but don't really have actually a business model. You start to see that, you know, it's not sort of starts to showcase the, the reality of what is here. And, you know, I think my mind started to expand as I started to engage and build a relationship with Chris and the community in New Orleans and see that there can be great companies that can be built anywhere. Um, and I think over the last 20 years, one of the things technology has really enabled is you can use technology to enable your business, um, which makes it the freedom to actually build that business anywhere is really important. And so Chris and I, when we got married, um, decided to base ourselves out in San Francisco. And it was really funny because it also was that moment where we also started to spend more of our time not in San Francisco and actually in cities across the country um, and talking to these ecosystems and started on this path. And about two years ago, Chris sort of said to me, I don't know why you're out there, you know, doing these turnarounds, these startups or building someone else's company. You know, there's a company right here that you own 50% of because California is a community property state. Uh, so why don't you... Why don't you focus uh, your energy and your efforts on actually helping me um, with this mission? And all of a sudden, you know, it made so much clarity and it, it really did bring it all to life that we could kind of start growing this company together. And, it, and the other thing is, is that when you run a business that, while remote in nature, really requires you to be on the road, um, it's a tough thing to have one person be a road warrior and the other person absolutely. be a Yeah, so, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that started, we weren't really, you know, we had sort of figured we weren't able to have a family and about, you know, six months into the deal, we were like, lo and behold, oh my God, we're having a baby now too. And so, um, you know, things, things don't always happen in the order that you expect, but they always happen in the order that you need. And we were able to then, you know, base ourselves up here and realized how lucky and blessed we were that we had actually started on the entrepreneurial journey where we could have the freedom and the flexibility to run our business, to raise our family the way we wanted to, and to really be um, partners in all aspects of life and business. Well, that was kind of the almost the elevator pitch bio there. So I, you, there's a there's a couple of pieces that I'm missing in in my mental puzzle here that so. I'm, and Chris, let me touch on with you just for a second there. You talked about, you know, I kind of was an angel investor. I mean, you don't wake up as an angel investor. So something had to happen, like one of these ventures that you were involved in leading up to Launchpad had to had to work. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. substantially yeah. well. So were there were there pieces that that I mean and and I think if you look back, it's like all these dots connected, you know, leading up to Launchpad anyway. So Right, right. Uh, well, yes, I, I have uh, uh, my very first company that I started, I, I, I did have an exit on that. Um, it was very much a, a single, <laughs> a base hit, wasn't a home run by any means, but, but was, was sort of fortunate. And, 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 you know, you get a little bit of the bug or you, you understand, sure. okay, here's the cycle. And well, vicariously, I said, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it, it gets you, it gets you excited, and you're sort of enthusiastic about it. So, um, I, I certainly, the the path to being an angel investor was was, I, you know, maybe not unusual, but but um, certainly interesting. I, it was it was really born out of wanting to help entrepreneurs that uh, that I had 
relationships with and, you know, friends. And um, I, I've got this concept that we talk about of being a first believer. And um, in, in when you're starting a business, um, usually, you know, all you hear is, is no, you know, mm. that'll never work. That's a dumb idea. You know, people have tried that, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. So you get a lot, sort of a lot of negative energy around it. And I wanted to, you know, sort of counteract that by, by with encouragement and and believing in people. And so, um, I've always taken a lot of pride in in playing the role of being one of the first people to bet on somebody or to tell them they can do it. And there's a lot of ways you know you can do that. One being writing a check, but often it's it's a first customer, right? You're the first person to buy something from somebody. You know, you're the first employee to say, Hey, I'm in, I'm going to join you on this journey. Um, at any rate, there was a particular entrepreneur uh, named Patrick Comer who was working at Launchpad and I was taking him around. We went on a couple sort of road shows up to meet with VCs in, in New York and in Boston um, we met, we went to, um, Gillette stadium and met with the craft group and, you know, I, it was fun to sort of pitch these guys in, in the stadium, but of, of course these all came back as no's. Uh, so nobody, nobody was willing to invest. Um, so finally he, he took me out, uh, we were standing at launch pad and we walked outside one day sort of, you know, with a hung dog look and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Chris, I don't want any of those guys to invest. I want you to invest. And, and it was, it had never really occurred to me to be an investor before, to be an angel investor. Um, but I, you know, went into my 401k, you know, probably wrote a check with money that, that shouldn't have been going to an angel investment, a little more risky than a financial advisor would like, but wrote a $25,000 check. And, you know, lo and behold, you know, the company today, um, we, we went on to close a, a round of capital, um, you know, based on that. And, uh, now company just raised $60 million has 400 employees. And so, you know, it turns out to be a pretty, was a pretty good bet. Um, so since then I've, have gone on and, and kind of continued to do it, but that was the, that's sort of the origin story around angel investing. But I think that's a really rare, um, approach to it. Uh, and I think, I think a lot of people, and it's interesting cause we face a lot of angel groups when we go into markets and they typically have a very similar profile where they're either people who have uh, maybe sold a company or they're someone who is sort of later in their career as a lawyer or a doctor or something like that, have some, have some funds that they can move and play around with and have some fun with, right? Um, and in a lot of cases, because angel investing is so high risk, it's, you know, it's a, a really high risk reward, but it's also a very emotional thing. Mm -hmm. um, buying into a company and doing that. And, and actually what we often see is people with more funds, um, it's, it's hard for them to write that check. And I think the example for Chris that is remarkable is, is there is that we will decide to spend our discretionary income in a lot of different ways, right? Someone will, you know, someone will go buy and buy shoes. I certainly have had a very wonderful shoe wardrobe, um, that's been destroyed by countless puppies over the years, or, uh, you know, someone wants to take a big vacation or someone might be say maybe more saving up for their 401k. And I think this is an example where you have been like the OG believer in mm -hmm. other people and startups. And so when you see something and you spend a lot of time and you get to know them, it doesn't feel like a big risk. Yeah. 
um, because you actually have that insight and that knowledge. And Mm -hmm. I think you really believed in Patrick on that sense. But I think that sort of unleashed the bug that was within you, which was, well, if I'm going to, it, you know, we've made, we've made some investments recently and we're not sitting there. We're both sort of, we're at a very tight phase. We're building our own company, right? So it's already hard enough. We're raising our own funding. Um, but when we identify entrepreneurs that we believe in, um, it's not a bad way to spend a little bit of money, right? And to do that without a lot of strings and to actually do that. And you can have a great result of it, but, uh, it doesn't feel as big a gamble as say going to Vegas. Um, and it's a lot more rewarding to help somebody build their business and achieve what they're trying to achieve for Mm -hmm. themselves and for their families. Yeah. I think it is a unique thing. It's not like you were running around sloshing in money. It's been a very thoughtful approach in terms of how you identified the companies, the founders and what we want to do. And that's why we want to keep replicating that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me, I mean, as a follow-up question to that, I mean, I, I love the idea of, you know, kind of being that, I think the, the term you described was the first believer. Um, but how do you balance that? I mean, as, as you're describing this, this guy, you know, great guy, you know, high morals, high work ethic, bad idea. I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you I mean, there's, there's a point that you're, you know, there is no such thing as a dumb question. Actually, there, there are dumb questions and, and there are bad business ideas. I mean, how do you balance that with, with the idea? I mean, because you're bringing a, a lot of both of you bringing a wealth of experience to the table. I mean, how do you, if I'm, if I'm, you know, at Launchpad and I'm trying to get something off the ground and yeah, I really believe in Kevin, I'm, we're going to, we're going to really get behind him, but his idea is horrible. I mean, how, <laughs> yep. do, you, how do you, you know, how do you kind of massage that one with, with the whole idea of, Hey, we're all in, we want to be behind you. We want to support you and get you rolling. And you know, so I think that's where, that's, that's where it comes in is having a partner, right? Um, and so I think what we've realized is, and it's funny, we change the role that we play mm-hmm. depending on the idea um, and so and the individual. And so I think we really are thoughtful about not everybody in the room has to be a yes person. Um, but you need that first believer, but you also need somebody to challenge. And right. so there have been times when uh, we've looked at a company and I've been like, I'm like, we need to do this. And Chris will challenge me and say, you need to be able to prove to me why we need to do that with conviction. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll do it with him. Mm -hmm. And we usually are sitting naturally on, on the other side of the balance beam or the, the seesaw to sort of, if one person's all in, the other person actually has to come back and say, all right, how do we, let me play devil's advocate. Let me think through the requirements there. Let me challenge that assumption. And, you know, if the challenge is then greater than the conviction, it will win. Mm-hmm. And if the conviction convinces the challenge to have conviction, then we'll invest. And right. so I think um, when it's you writing the checks, you know, it's a lot easier. You can just decide to write the checks. And if we were sloshing around with, with a money tree, we would love to write checks to everybody. (laughs) Um, but we've actually built our discipline by working together on Mm -hmm. it. 
um, and to holding each other accountable for the conviction that we have. And I think you always say that, right? You have to, when we're looking for investors and when we're acting as investors, we're looking for conviction on both sides. Yeah. You want the investor who has conviction around you, who believes in you, who wants to be there to support you, who wants to get on the call and not just sort of beat you up on your financials, but help you think through how to make them better. Yes. Um, and we feel the same way, which is, you know, when we feel, if both of us feel conviction that we're passionate about this company or this organization, then we're going to be all in. And it's also a good uh, indicator. I think it's a really good indicator when you've got two people, which is you have to sell both of us, right? So if you're not interested in engaging with both parties, then we're probably not going to be interested in you. Right. Um, and that goes the investor side as well as for people we want to invest in. Mm -hmm. and I think that's a, that's a good way of, of demonstrating kind of how we balance um, so that we do say no, right? And uh, I think it's interesting to see over the last couple of years how we've changed from time to time. Chris will be the heavy and I'll be the heavy. And, and I think we balance that back and forth pretty well. Um, but I think we realize the importance of that tension. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a great picture though of the two of you together, I mean, almost seeing, you know, opposite sides of a sphere, you know, the, like you, yeah. you can't yeah. see the backside of the moon, but she can and vice versa. So, yeah, I'm sorry, Chris, were you? Well, I was going to say, this might be a good, good uh, time in the interview to, to do the, the mini course, because I'd be happy to share how we sort of evaluate, you know, sort of on an objective level, you know, angel Absolutely. investment. This would be, be a one really easy segue. That's right. This, this yeah. Chris alluded Here's how to raise funding. <laughs> the area of our, our show we called the Rising Tide Micro Course, and and where I just kind of step out of the way and and just just let our guests kind of uh, assume the role of the professor, and and we're sitting in the classroom here. So, guys, take it away, and and the stage is yours. All right, fun. Um, uh, so I, I think it, it is informative and helpful to sort of walk through what what does it take to raise angel funding, you know, and, and a lot of this applies to anything, you know, angel or venture scale. But, um, but since we're sort of at the early stage in angel scale, that's probably a, a good format for us. So um, why don't we start with point one, um, without necessarily, you know, telling somebody they have a, a bad idea or something that won't work, um, a important filter is, is the idea or, or is the business venture scale? Um, because so many people are working on great businesses, but they're really, you know, they're, they're service businesses or they're small businesses. And, you know, you, you really, it just doesn't, the economics don't make sense to raise angel funding or venture funding for a business that isn't doesn't have the potential to be a hundred million dollar business. So, so the TLDR on that is figure out if your business warrants venture style capital. Right, right. Figure out and figure out if that's the right type of financing for you because there might be other types of financing that is the right way to capitalize your business. Of course, the best finance is always revenue. So, you know, often people are sort of waiting for permission to start their business. Uh, whereas if they just went out and found a customer that started paying them, they'd be, they'd be off and running. So sort of point one is, you know, do you have a venture scale business? Can this be a hundred million dollar business? And is that what you want, right? As right. an entrepreneur, is that what you want? All right. Step two, um, 
we'll sort of, I'll sort of focus this around things that, that we look for. Um, one of the things that in particular, we look at a lot of deals outside Silicon Valley. So we have sort of a, a outside Silicon Valley, uh, you know, the rest of the country mindset. And so um, I do like to look at is a entrepreneur working on something that she deeply understands and often experience in a sector, in a business sector where uh, she was part of a team or part of a company or maybe an executive and not a founder and then leaves that to go build a company is a really great profile. So contrary to sort of the, the, the opinion or the, 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 you know, the common perception that, you know, startup founders are, you know, the, the 23 year old out of Stanford with a brilliant idea, often they are actually much more mature and experienced in their careers. And, and there's just something that they figured out and they said, this is, this is it. I'm going to build a company around this. Mm -hmm. So the TLDR on that is identify a problem that you are uniquely positioned well to be very good at solving. Yep. Based on experience, passion, all of the above, right? I mean, all of right. the exactly. this, yeah. right. It could be a problem that you're solving for yourself um, or a problem that you have experience in or you have depth in. So yeah. identify something that, that no one else better than you can be able to solve for. And, and a great way to check against that is um, am, I, what, you know, am I following sort of the startup du jour phase you know one point it's uber for this you know then it's machine learning then it's you know ai if i'm just building something because it's a buzzword and and i hear about it and it's sort of the you know what what the blogs are writing about um unless i truly am uniquely positioned to build that that's probably i'm probably just chasing an idea versus something that i'm really in a position to build and i think on that it really is less about the idea right right it's not always about the idea it's about the fact the matter is, is that you know it takes a while to raise funding um, and to capitalize your business and in those dark days when you don't have that funding you really need to want to do the work because um, no one's writing you a paycheck uh, no one's buying you lunch um, no one's patting you on the back for the work so you have to really love it um, and you have to be good at it and it has to be enough that will enough of that passion and expertise that can sustain um, until you can really get capitalized and funded. Mm -hmm. so, so point number three uh, w that I would look at, uh, we would look at it would be how big is the market? Um, is it a large and growing market? Um, sometimes people are focused on something that's, that's really interesting, really unique, but it turns out it's also pretty niche um, and, and not that big of a market. Um, I'll do things like ask the entrepreneur to take me to a conference and try to learn the industry because there's so many different industries. So it's not just a PowerPoint slide that says this is a trillion dollar market, but actually really digging in and understanding what the dynamics are in the market. Is the market sort of old school and it's being disrupted by technology, um, which is something that we see frequently around the country. A lot of, you know, Deep technical innovation is coming out of Silicon Valley, but there's a lot of industries, you know, maritime industry or an energy industry or, you know, market research industry that are actually based in other parts of the country. And those industries are sort of going through the software eats the industry phase. Yeah, which is really cool. And I think that also goes back to step one, which is 
it's okay if you're in a niche market. It just might change the way that you want to capitalize your business. You right. may not need full venture funding. You might just need a seed round to get you started and local investors might be enough. Um, the idea of the matter is, is that, you know, being honest uh, about what that market size looks like and your appetite to attack it. Um, a lot of times we, uh, we see founders who will say, you know, oh, I want to do all these things and I... The scratch head moment is, do you really have the appetite to really go for it um, and to really eat up that category? And so it, this is a good moment for you to actually, as much as I think the total addressable market slides are a little bit of BS, mm -hmm. it's also a really good moment for you to have like that look in the mirror and say, how much of that pie do you really have the appetite to bite off? Um, and I think that's a, that's a good centering point as you think about your market. And if yep. it's a really big pie and you want to go for it, you want to kill it. That's a, a great checkpoint, um, to communicate effectively to your investors. Yep. So, All right. So you've sized the market. So, yeah. So, so two more steps and I'll try to move through these quickly. So no step four. Well, I'm moving through them. Yeah. Quickly, <laughs> step four would be a little bit of the, the, the founder and founding team, um, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, sort of an experienced founder in a sector, but now you really dig in and, you know, understand sort of the, the DNA and, you know, drive, you know, have I, have, has the founder put everything on the line? You know, sometimes people are, you know, Hey, I, I would quit my job if you'll fund me. Well, that means you actually haven't invested yourself in the business yet. Um, often looking at founding team dynamics, there might be sort of a somewhat of a team around it, but when you really dig in, you know, people aren't as committed as you, as you, as, as they need to be. And, you know, that, that like in a marriage is just so crucial. You've got to have a team that can work together, is in it for the long haul. You know, you're going to be 10 year partners and, it's easier to get divorced than it is to, to, to break up a business partnership. So that, that team and the DNA of the team is, is super important. That's true. <laughs> we only have nuclear options. Yeah. Um, so I think the, the thing on that part that's actually really important is, and that you're getting at is um, when you look at the totality of the founder, you're looking to see, is this person you know, all in? Are they going to be coachable? Are they uh, someone that you can believe in that you can write a check to? Um, it's also really important. I think what I've seen from found, some early stage founders is sometimes they don't realize uh, what it's like to have a check written. Um, and I think the best founders are the ones who have actually had to lose the money and have to go to their investors and explain that they lost it. Um, that's a, it's a really, that's a really important moment um, because especially when there's plenty of capital that's sloshing around and you can pick up dollars here and there, you want somebody who knows that um, it's just not free money, right? You want someone who's actually there. And so I think that's one of the things we look for in founders is, and that's the, that's the test, which says, have you quit your job? Are you all in on this? Have you started to generate revenue? Are you waiting uh, for permission to do that? Or are you actually just going on and getting at it? And in our world right now, we're working with a lot of foundations in some cases. Um, and, and they move at a very different pace than in venture. And one of the things that we realized is that in our DNA, like we don't wait. 
we just get to the point of doing business. So um, one foot in front of the other and we just keep going and we keep putting points on the board. Um, and we just are hoping that by the time they finish all of their work, we're all kind of landing at the same point. Yeah. And they're like, wait a second, yeah. we thought you'd be 10 steps behind. But if you're waiting, you're never gonna actually win. And so I think our view is like seeing that drive in the founder is really critical. So you wanna be able to demonstrate that. Um, and at the same time, demonstrate coachability, right? And so it's a fine balance between um, how coachable am I, i.e. I'll take all the advice in the world um, versus how capable am I? And you wanna, you wanna sort of be always balancing those two Mm -hmm. sides of your personality because the person who thinks they have all the answers isn't going to be a very interesting person to invest in because the investor needs to see that their role is more than just money uh and the person who doesn't know anything and is waiting for permission isn't a good thing so you have to you have to find that tight balance that makes you really in line with your investors and what who they want to the type of person they want to invest mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. And step five. Step five is 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 traction and growth, and just you know where where is the business, and can you see clear steps forward? And and part of this is um, the the um, sort of mantra that investors invest in lines, not dots. Um, sort of a misconception that you're going to meet an investor for the first time, and they're going to write you a check right on the spot. Usually, you'll get to know them. It'll be a dialogue, might last months, might last six months. Um, and if every meeting is better than the last, if, if every meeting that entrepreneur has accomplished, you're, you're, you're sort of surprised at how much she got done and how fast it's moving. And, and there, there sort of you know, gets to be this inevitability about it. It's sort of like, okay, this thing's going to happen with or without me, right? And I think that's the way we, we think about our business. Um, then you really get excited about it and, and, and want to get on board, right? Yeah. You know, something, um, you know, so that, that growth and traction and, and demonstrating movement um, is, is key as well. I think that single line, investors invest in lines, not dots, is something that you've always said. And I think it's the single most important thing for me that I've learned and the single most important thing for anyone thinking about investing, which is every single time you got to put points on the board. Um, and if, those, if the, that line keeps going up in the right direction, then you'll likely be able to achieve getting funded. Um, and it's okay, you'll also hear no along the way. You can't let that discourage you, right? You've gotta have lots of people that you're talking to. You gotta be putting points on the board. You gotta be showing progress, demonstrating conviction. And if that line keeps going up, then the good news is your business is doing better even if you haven't yet raised your financing. And so I think if you th take away one thing, it's Chris's people invest in lines, not dots. I, I love the way that, that you kind of summed that up. And I, as I was, as you were saying that, I was, I was kind of, you know, thinking, uh, you know, Shark Tank or Elevator Pitch or, you know, all these shows where, where the investors may think it's a great idea, but they're like, you know, you can talk about, you know, perceived market share. You can talk about any number of things, but you've shown me nothing, you know, this is your pre-revenue, right. you know, your, or, or even, 
the the idea that hey yeah I think it's a great business I'm just not passionate about it enough as an as an investor to invest in it so yeah I did, I don't want to have a diaper factory in Egypt you know I I'm <laughs> sure that there are divers in Egypt I just don't have any desire to invest in that you know but I really like the the kind of the the word picture that you gave about this it's almost the you know FOMO the fear of missing out if if that line is going up and to the right like a hockey stick you're going hey they're going to go there with or without me so why not jump on the train? Because as an right. investor, you know, this is a great investor. I, I can see it already. You know, it's just, I'm just, I'm really just catching the inertia of the wave as it's going by. So, and I, I really appreciate you guys drilling down on, on that. And, and um, I mean, it's, it's really interesting to see you, you know, as you guys work together and, and you, you say something, you go, okay, well, here's actually the takeaway line of what he just, <laughs> I know. you know, I know. The five steps and, so it's it makes it much easier for me to capture these things as we're as we're talking. But so you that that you've already given me a quote, but I I would like to could drill down a little bit and just say is are there is there a quote that that uh, that you guys are driven by? Is there do you have a personal quote you got taped up on your laptop somewhere you got on your office wall or whatever? But I mean I don't need anything beyond investors invest in lines not dots. I mean that that's a <laughs> right there. So but is there anything that drives you that? But uh, it's just kind of a life mantra. Well, I, I've got one that, uh, that my dad had sitting on his desk his whole career, and it's run the race with perseverance. Um, and to me, that just sort of speaks to, um, you know, entrepreneurship and, and you know, and, and life that um, it's a long game. You know, there's, there's ups and downs. Um, but not getting discouraged and keeping your head up and, and keeping moving is, is the key to it. You know, every, every day, every day we're above ground, but, and every day, you know, every day I'm not working for somebody else is a good day. So yeah. it, 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 you know, there's ups and downs, but, but run the race with perseverance is, is one that it's a good means one. a lot to me. You know, I think I haven't really thought about what my framing, uh, piece with you, but I'll say two things. One is that actually notion of lines, not dots is probably the thing that is, uh, the best motivator for me, um, to just keep that energy up, keep the, keep the focus on where we're we going and what the next pieces are. And, and I never really thought about it in that context, but it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say also my life mantra would be just say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, the notion of being open uh, to new ideas. We always say to people, don't invite us to something because we just might say yes. Uh, <laughs> usually we will. And we're the first to hop on a plane if someone invites you to go to Hawaii and uh, the first to say yes and drop everything and rearrange it if there's a great band coming into town. And I think that notion of just say yes is something that carries us through. It uh, can has new meaning now when we have a baby and we have a few other things to manage and it's not just ourselves, but that, I think that just keeps us open and um, alive when it comes to life. Guys, I, there are so many different directions I could head right now. I, and I, I do want to honor your time. I mean, I, I could talk to you all, all I could just actually, I could sit here and listen to you all, all day, but um, there, there are two areas that I, that I kind of really want to touch on. I mean, one of them is, is kind of, let's, let's look, you know, back and and kind of see some lessons that have that have been learned and what you if if you could go back 10 15 20 years whatever that magic number is and 
And if you had one piece of advice that you could give yourself that you think would be a game changer today, what would it be from each of you? Um, it's a funny question. And I think it's, it's interesting. Maybe it just talks to our different types of psyches, but, um, it's really funny. The journey that I've gone through, there've been many mistakes along the way. There have been many places that I could have been more optimal. I could have been more organized. I could have followed through harder. I could have, uh, picked a different job or taken a different step. Um, but the reality is, is that where I am today, I'm really happy about. Um, and each one of those moments, each one of those lucky breaks or uh, heartbreaks is actually what got me to where I am today. Mm -hmm. And so I guess what I would say is, is that run the race with perseverance. Mm -hmm. um, be passionate about where you are. I think the thing I would have said was maybe listen a little less to the ego um, and a little more to the heart. Hmm. And I think, hmm. you know, that's something that I've probably learned in the last few years. Uh, and I've been acting in that way, but I think it, it, it took me a long time for it all to sort of come to fruition. Um, and I think for me, I, I would say that is, is that uh, it's a little less about the ego and it's a little more about the heart. Okay, Chris, if you'll hold your thought just for a second, I, I want to touch on that really quickly because I've done yeah. an interview a week since January of 2018. And that's the first time that someone has almost, and you, you almost said it completely. I mean, you, you, you kind of circled around a little bit, but almost said, I don't think I, I, uh, what advice would I give myself? Because I'm, I'm really happy with the journey that I've, that I've had up to this point. Have I made mistakes? Absolutely. But everything's been like a, <laughs> like a piece of the puzzle that has fit and made me where I am today. What a refreshing, um, you know, outlook. And I mean, I, I just really want to want to affirm, you know, what you just said that because it, it really it spoke to me. I mean, as you were saying that, I thought, well, of course we, we give ourselves, you know, you know, we had that aha moment. I wish I had a V8, you know, type. You know, yeah. Had. Plenty of V8 days in my past. But I, yeah. And I, Chris, I don't want to knock you off your game. If you had something really, I really want to hear it. But I, I just, I just didn't want to buzz by that without just stopping and affirming how, how awesome that, that, uh, that perspective is. That, that you just gave it, so. Yeah. I mean, I think actually it, it's, probably speaks to either uh, whatever work I've done to have that perspective. I don't know that I would have had it a couple of years ago. Um, but I do think that uh, it also probably talks to my psyche in some way. There's probably a little ego in there um, that says, I'm good enough as I am. Um, but I, uh, we were reading a book together called uh, by Jerry Kalana. And uh, he talks a lot about kind of that breaking down of um, what would you have done differently as you're thinking about leaders and your leadership capability and, and who you are. And I, I was remarking on that moment of sort of saying like, you know, there are definitely things to improve, but overall I'm, I think it's important for us to actually just really like who we are. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot I can do about it. Um, yeah. I can't change the past. Yeah. Uh, I can only make the future better. And I think I've always been a very, you know, forward looking, uh, keep it going. And, you know, that's, that's, I think, been my mantra. Um, maybe that's my mantra. Can't change the past. <laughs> make the future better. 
Yeah. And it's not that there are things that you would do different. I mean, there are obviously things you would do differently, but I just, I just wanted to really, you know, touch on the fact that you, you were Thank you you. focused more on the, uh, actually where I am now and where the path that's led to this is, is as, as important as it is to me telling my, you know, 25 year old self or 15 year old self, you know, something different. But, um, Chris, I'm, I didn't mean to, to take the time. So. Maybe go to the gym more. I'm going to say that. <laughs> go to the gym more. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, I, I uh, again, <laughs> acknowledging how happy I am where we are today. Me too, movement there for us. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, has, has led us, you know, has led us here. It's been, has been What wonderful. advice would you give your but, younger self? Um, you know, I think, I think, I think the advice that I, I could have used here was, uh, and particularly as an entrepreneur, was, um, this, you know, sort of the swing for the fences, the think bigger, the, the be ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I think, you know, sometimes when you're starting something, you know, initially you have this at the end of the day, what, what, one of the things that I've realized is when you're taking risks, it's almost just as, uh, you know, that a big risk is, kind of just as likely to work out as a small risk, right? So, um, you know, every time we've, you know, raised capital, you know, it's almost just as hard to raise, you know, $25,000 as as it is to raise $2.5 million. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to be, you have to be ready for it. You have to be capable of it. Um, But but, zero is still zero. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The, the, the swinging big and ambition. um, And I, I remember once I, I was, I, I, was sort of in affiliate marketing early in my career and, you know, which is sort of, you know, internet traffic and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's not really building a, a startup per se. And I went to this conference for it in, in Las Vegas and uh, Jason Calacanis, you know, was a speaker and said to the audience, he's like, everybody in here is way too smart to be doing affiliate marketing. You guys should all get out of here and go build real startups. Right. And it was sort of, and it was just like a little bit of an aha to me of like your, your skills when you're an entrepreneur and you're, and you're doing something are, are really, are really worthwhile and, and meaningful. And so, you know, apply them to, you know, something that, that you really want to do something, you know, thinking big. Well, I, I, uh, like I said, I could, I could keep asking questions all day long and, and, uh, the sun would go down even in Northern California. But, um, I, if we can wrap up today, just, I'm just touch a little bit just on kind of the current state of Launchpad and, and where you're headed with Launchpad. I mean, I, I know that, that, uh, you know, you're in, you're in New Orleans, you're in Charleston and headed toward Nashville in Nashville. Uh, where else, where else, sure. are you, where else are you going with this? Oh, well, you're going to be yeah. digging in on this one, I'm sure, Kevin. But basically, uh, New Orleans. So we're right now we're in New Orleans, mm-hmm. Nashville, Memphis, Newark, New Jersey, and Stockton, California. Um, and we are uh, looking to move into 20 locations by the end of 2020. Um, and our goal and mission is to create a uh, deeply connected, network of co-working spaces across the U.S. and markets that we call momentum markets um, with the idea that we can support entrepreneurship and their goals and entrepreneurs goals and objectives in these markets. We can basically uh, support cities in attracting the best and retaining the best talent um, in their markets and entrepreneurship can be a way forward for folks. 
as part of that, we're raising a venture capital fund um, that we're going to start raising for in Q4 of this year to be able to invest dollars into these markets and into these entrepreneurs that we see on the ground. Um, and we've just recently launched a foundation to support underrepresented groups uh, within our cities to be able to give them scholarships and access to our resources, uh, to our curriculum, and to really be able to support entrepreneurs and remove the barriers to access for entrepreneurship. Because we really believe, and this is a mantra of Chris's, um, that for us to have a strong economy, entrepreneurship really is the way forward. It is the antidote to uh, automation. It is the answer to our communities that need to be revitalized. It is the way to give agency to people and to strengthen uh, the local and national economy. Amen, amen, and amen. As an economics major in university, I second that, what you just said. All right. Absolutely. Okay. There's no question. No, absolutely. I, it's not a Republican thing. It's not a Democrat thing. It's not an independent thing. It's an economic thing. And it is, you are That's absolutely right. right. You're absolutely right. So describe the real quick kind of the emerging markets or is this the, the idea is this, uh, are these cities that you're seeing a strong tech growth in? Is it specifically surrounding tech or is it, I mean, it, it sounds like to me it's it's all over the country as well. It's not in any particular yeah. region of the country. It, it is all over the country. We, um, we focus on mid-market cities. Um, the terminology we use is we, we call these markets momentum markets. Mm -hmm. So these are cities that you know, have strong sort of cultural and historic assets, places where people might have grown up but, but had to leave to go get a job previously. And through entrepreneurship, they're able to you know, build their build build their business there uh places that you know when you live in the bay area you go to these cities and you're like oh you can actually still afford to buy a house there yeah um, exactly. so, right so uh you know so so we're big believers in these great american cities um one of our our core focuses um is around a core value um, um diverse and inclusive not exclusive and so this means diversity on on every level including making sure that our launchpad locations are are representative of the communities we serve um, but also business diversity because we believe that um, there's many many people that are working entrepreneurially so it's not just tech and startups you know that's right. a subset of it small businesses professional services people working remotely freelancers right. podcast media all, all of us, everybody doing this are sort of looking for agency in their lives they want to they want to do something they care about uh, that interests them and and, uh, and and they're making a go of it so and they want to be part of a community yeah and they oh. want to be part oh. of a community and so um, that that diversity is a is a key component of every launchpad location do you do you look at the market that like uh, I take Richmond Richmond Virginia for instance and that's that's the market that I, that I'm in and I, I'm and it probably Chris's is hometown really all right you, yeah uh, I, I, I grew up in Richmond time. yeah thank you <laughs> <laughs> it's it's it, as as you know it's it's uh, slightly different from Northern California but uh, when you look at a market like Richmond I mean so let's say we have a a pretty good sized co-working competitor in the area would that would that come into play as you're looking at the market as well i mean obviously kind of like your market study a feasibility study or whatever or are you saying actually our approach is different than than a kind of a typical co-working space and 
we're, we're going to serve a different market. We're going to have different, you know, different targets, that type of thing. How do you, how do you kind of balance that? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. We, we do, we certainly do, you know, market analysis and, and look at sort of supply of, of, you know, co-working uh, in a market and, and, um, but, but I think that there is a, you know, differentiation to Launchpad. Um, the way we think of the, the space or the sector is that there will be multiple co-working brands mm-hmm. um, and independents. We think of it, it's going to play out very similar to hotels. Yeah. Um, different flags, you know, not all hotels are called Hyatt and not all co-working spaces will be right. called WeWork. Um, right. uh, you know, so, so, um, the other, the other sort of philosophy we have is that we want to come in and uh, we really care about ecosystem development. So we want to come in and um, be additive to the community to find a, a unique role that we can play. Um, and we enter a market with humility, knowing that there's um, a lot of people who have had sort of boots on the ground that have been working to build the entrepreneurial ecosystem, uh, you know, that have come before us. And, you know, how can we help and what role can we play mm-hmm. when we enter the market? That's great. We, uh, one of our core values is we go long. So, you know, don't worry, we'll go over time, no problem. But it also really means about, <laughs> we, we often, um, we approach things in a very collaborative way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think co-working in general, it's, it's not the easiest business um, to run. It's, uh, it's certainly, you know, you're dealing with 100 CEOs in every single location. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not huge margins. Oftentimes that landlord's the one, first one who's doing the least amount of work and getting the biggest check sure. uh, at the end of the day. And so I think, you know, we realize that it, we're all doing the work um, of supporting the ecosystem. And so we certainly aren't looking to be big competitors. We really are looking to be a part of it. And there's enough Guess what? There's no and there's a never-ending supply of entrepreneurs, mm. um, and we all have a fixed amount of office space to sell. So it it actually ends up being uh, not so bad. Um, we obviously don't look to put in a big space in a big saturated market where there's too much co-working space right. on the market and no right. one's really interested in it, and and all of a sudden it's like a bunch of noise. Um, that's not our focus, but I think that there's plenty of great cities out there that have a need for somebody else to come in with a different angle who can be another player in the, in the city and who can be another collaborator and build an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Ecosystem work is also really hard. Um, and it's a thankless job for most people. And I think, uh, what's been really neat. We do this thing called ecosystem summit. And what's really neat about that is you start to see that the challenges that are faced in Richmond, Virginia are the same challenges that are faced mm-hmm. in new Orleans or Kuala Lumpur. Right. Um, and at the same time, the people who are trying to solve those challenges on the ground and who really care about it are often the unsung heroes. Um, you know, the guy running the co-working space, he's not walking away with tons of money in his, in his, uh, back pocket every single month. Um, but he's doing it because he actually cares about the work there. Mm-hmm. Right. It, for a lot, a lot of years, you never got paid for a lot of the work that you did building mm-hmm. the platform and doing those things because it, didn't make it was just your human nature and i think all of these great cities and all these entrepreneurs there is a huge community component that people are naturally already doing it so as long as you come in with the idea of wanting to be additive and go long in the relationships there um people will kind of make a seat for you at the table Mm -hmm. uh it's when you show up and you kind of you know 
want to be the only game in town and you have no respect for the work that everybody else is doing, that's never a winning solution in any game, in any industry, in any work. And so I think it's the same in our work. Um, but we're really lucky because the people who do the kind of work that we do have a tendency to share our values and our mission. No one goes into this space thinking like, this is how I'm going to become a fat cat. Yeah. They go into it thinking, <laughs> yeah. you know, I need office space and my fellow, uh, my fellow startup folks, why don't we get together and make a co-working space yeah. and see if we can make that work? Because it'd be great to have our own virtual water cooler. Mm. Um, those, those kind of people are our kind of people. Yeah. And so, you know, those are the ones you end up finding in these cities. And, and that's my hope and my dream, but I think it plays out really nicely. And each city has its own flavor. Each city has its own community. Um, and we just, you know, we really do approach things and we go places where they want us. Um, so in a lot of cases, the mayor's coming to us and saying, you can be really helpful. Um, the economic development folks are like, we're trying to recruit Amazon, but we'll take you, okay, if if not. Um, but, <laughs> you know, the, the reality, <laughs> smart cities know that supporting their local entrepreneurship yeah. community is a winning solution. Yeah. Um, and so they're looking for people who can come in and act as leaders and uh, have maybe a different perspective that changes uh, the provincial tone that can sometimes happen. Exactly. Um, and make city a place that everybody wants to feel really proud of and i remember that in in louisville which which may or may not be one of our future markets <laughs> but i remember hearing from an executive there at a, a really amazing company and she's like i really want you guys to come be part of the city because you represent a network and access to other places and i want my city to be a place where I really want to live i was in london i want to live in louisville and i want louisville to be this vibrant amazing forward-thinking city. I don't want it to be a provincial place that's just a small town where I grew up and I can have a nice house. I want it to be world-class. Yeah. And kind so I think the you know, there's so many people in this country that want their city to be world-class and it yeah. can be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that. And I, and I do hope, uh, I mean, I can make a case that Richmond should be ahead of Louisville on that list, but uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> do hope that Richmond is somewhere in the, in the planning stages. And if not, I mean, there's gotta be some a sentimental vote, if nothing else, you know, there's gotta be some sentimentality <laughs> yeah. that plays into, into heading that direction. But uh, we, we would love to be in Richmond. We're, we're, we're we actually, um, uh, we're just talking to LeVar Stoney at, um, uh, at this mayor's event in, yeah. in, um, in, in Hawaii this summer. Uh, so we're, we're, it's on the list. <laughs> We've got a lot of reasons, Chris's yeah. mom and some really close friends who give us a, a really good incentive to want to be over there in Richmond. Yep. Well, as far as I know, there's only one big player in the market. And uh, I mean, they, they seem to be doing just fine as far as capacity is concerned. So I think that there's, there's certainly an, an abundant supply of of those needing co-working space in this area. And, and there's a lot of exciting things happening in the area that are, you know, just, you know, yeah. from the startup, you know, community and, and, uh, but yeah, there's, I, I love the idea that there's these cities virtually popping up all over the country, you know, and all virtually all over the world. I mean, we are a, we are digital nomads and, and we can work anywhere. Right. We have laptop and a Wi-Fi, you know, Wi-Fi right. and that's not going to change. And that yeah. is not going to matter of fact, it's going to, that's going to continue to increase. And if, if uh, Elon Musk has anything to do with it, he's, he's going to have, you know, internet, uh, you know, all over the planet at a, at a right. high rate of speed. So, 
Well, guys, I, I, like I said, I could sit here and, and just continue to ask questions and, and just sit back and, and uh, drink my Coke and enjoy the conversation. But is there anything that I, I haven't asked you about that you, you want to touch on or you think would be just a great way to wrap us up? And then just tell us where, where's the best place for people to find you online. Chris? All right. All right. Sure. Well, uh, I, I'll wrap up with, with this. Um, uh, you know, hopefully we've sort of given, uh, given you a little bit of a sense today of um, how, how fortunate we feel to be able to work together. Um, finding a great uh, business partner is, is a challenge and finding a great life partner and spouse uh, can be a challenge. And when you get to combine them, you know, it, it makes life pretty special. So, um, you know, it, 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 you know, people ask us a lot about what it's like to work together as a couple. And, um, yeah, it's not for everyone. And, and obviously you have to be aligned on your, on your interests and, and compatible, you know, and, and able to work together. But, um, it's been really fulfilling for us. And, um, so enjoyed getting a chance to, to talk to you today, Kevin, and I enjoy getting a chance to work with you, Anne, and, uh, I'll let you have the final word. All right. No. That's, that sounds great. Um, we uh, launchpad www.lp.co yep. um, is our uh, URL, and we are going to be interested in coming to more and more cities with pro- sorry, coming to communities across the U.S. where there's lots of people with pride and cities with soul. All right. Well, so have you tried to buy LP.com at any point in time? Is there, is there somebody out there that, that had that forever and uh, just won't sell it? Or? Yeah, I don't think it's happening. Uh, we just love yeah. the shortness of LP.co. I do too. And You're I, one I, of the OGs. Working space too. I mean, what it just fits perfectly. That's right. We were, uh, we were an OG.co customer. Yeah. There you go. Well, guys, as we wrap up today, I, I want to uh, just uh, as we close every every chat we have on Rising Tide is just thanking you guys for playing your part and just helping all boats rise in a rising tide. And Chris, actually, I heard you use that that very phrase on another interview you had had uh, not long ago. And and I as I was listening to it, I thought, wow, he's, he's prepping for the show here. <laughs> so as we as we ended it with this. Just thanking you again for for just helping out today, and and uh, it's been great chatting with you, and uh, we just wish you all the best in the future. Thanks again for coming Thanks. on. Thanks. It was really fun. You're welcome. We, we really, really enjoyed it. it. Thanks, guys. Bye.